Does everybody hear me? See me? I'll wait until I get some confirmation from the chat room since this is really all about the chat room tonight. We're here on when uh, uh, Thursday evening, June 15th. It is the third session out of what will be four sessions of Shoeless Joe by W.P. Kinsella and my co-host for this entire series that I wish had like three more weeks left to it because I'm having so much fun doing it is Charlie Robinson of Macroaggressions Podcast. What's going on, Charlie? It, it, I feel the same way. I don't want the book to end. Uh, I'm enjoying our little Thursday night hangout sessions too. You yeah. know, so it's it's kind of like a double I get double whammy. I get both. I get to read about baseball. I can watch baseball if I want, and then I get to talk about baseball with you. So I'm happy. Um, we've got all the other distractions out of the way. NHL, NBA. We can yeah. just focus on baseball. Well, then you know the other thing to, to to think about there too, Charlie, is that as time goes on, we'll just pick another book and we'll do this again. I'd love to. I would love to have you on as a, a co-host again to do this. So. Well, uh, it's been a lot of fun, and I think part of it is that I know that there's a, a big audience out there that's kind of s- silently, maybe not so silently in the chats, but but si- uh, theoretically silently going along with the ride with us, you know? Like, in we're, we're in this car driving, trying to figure out what's going on in this book, and it's just filled with a bunch of people, and I love that. Yeah, and, and think about the people who have not yet uh, read it with us, because when this goes public, we're talking about... It, I don't know who countless there's countless opportunities of people to just yeah. jump on for the ride and have a good time with us. So uh, where we are right now in this story, we have a um, we're, we're coming up on the the big reveals. Where is this all going? Whose pain is getting healed? Who? Wh- why is this being? Wh- what was the journey all about? You have Salinger. You have Salinger. You have uh, Graham. You have Ray. They're coming back home. They have this almost like religious experience. They break into the Minnesota Twins ball ballpark uh, on the way back home, um, and from from Minnesota, and they are they have this wonderful night in the moonlight with the they're just I guess shagging fly balls and talking baseball and watching the way that it, the, the balls glisten in the moonlight and the dew on the grass and. It's just like this magical little night that's going on there. It's things that you don't get in the in the movie. And uh, then they go and they pick up Eddie Sissons because there's something about him that needs to be tied up as well. That's when we start realizing that Eddie has a secret. And as a uh, as a a reader who's in tune to what's going on here, you kind of get the impression that Eddie has um, passed the mortgage along, or he's doing something with the farm that is going to cause a little bit more tension for the main characters. And it seems that that's the case. But now they're back home. After all that that craziness in the moonlight in Minnesota, they're back home on the farm. Eddie's figuring out that, so man, what happened to the corn? Where What's this baseball field going on there? Uh, it looks a little bit lackluster in its un, uncut state. And, and they're waiting for the magic to pop up so everybody can see. Even Graham doesn't know what the hell he's there for. And I love these little uh, these little references that we don't get in the movie about... You know that something magical is happening with Graham being there, uh, Archie Graham in this his younger state. I love how in the book he asks the question whether or not uh, you know, you know w- what he perceived of jumping dimensions into this new little place. You know how was he? I look at the at Archie. It's the opening here. 
on page 157, I look at Archie and I wonder how he feels, what kind of crisscrossing the dimension of time had done to land him here, to stand him on a curving highway by a lake outside of Chisholm, Minnesota, at the very moment we come driving by, or could this all be in my imagination? Is Archie Graham really just a kid looking for a place to ball, play ball in the Midwest? Who knows? If it is, it's one hell of a coincidence. But now they're back, and we're starting to see things really heat up. So you go ahead, give me your impressions, things that stood out for you, and then we'll, we'll jump into the thread early tonight. Who cares? Yeah, I um, I liked that they 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 head off on this little adventure. They've got to go through Minnesota, so they well, maybe we'll stop and see a game. Well, there there'll be maybe a, there'll be a game tomorrow. They're probably still playing that game on the, I think in the West Coast or something tomorrow. But tonight they're not here, and so they think well, but we're here. <laughs> so they decide to go break into the to the stadium as any good baseball fan would do and get into the equipment room and grab a bunch of bats and grab a bunch of balls when the main club isn't there and go do and go play baseball when when nobody can get you in trouble and again when we when we talk about this this book this is now the third week and and for everybody that's reading it everybody has you know a different obviously a different sort of take on it or you know based on their their past maybe they're not baseball fans maybe they're huge baseball fans when i read this book with my background given the the year i worked in as a as an unpaid intern in major league baseball you know what we did when the when the team would go away on road trips they would they'd leave tucson and i was working in uh Tucson for the Rockies in 93, their, their first year in the league. And the, the road games were in Phoenix, so it's a couple hours away. But w- when they played a road game, you know what we would do? We would do the exact same thing that these guys did. We would go into the equipment room. We'd grab a bunch of bats. We'd grab a bunch of batting gloves. We'd grab a bunch of balls. And we'd go to the batting cage that was in the st- under the stadium. And we would get in there and we would say, have you ever seen a hundred mile an hour pitch? Let's see what one looks like. And we'd get in there and we'd rig the thing and we'd get in and just try and see if we could make contact with a hundred mile an hour baseball or have a 97 mile an hour curveball. what that looks like coming at you. So when I was reading this, I was, I was remembering that, that we did the same thing. We did what, the same what, thing and nobody cared. What in about fact, this line? What about this line, Charlie? How did this one hit you? A ballpark at night is more like a church than a church. I know exactly what they mean by that. There's something when when you go from the 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 place being packed, the smells, the sights, the sounds, it's being manned by a thousand employees. You have tens of thousands depending on how big the game is, tens of thousands of people around. You have the the commotion on the ballpark uh, on the actual ball field, everybody responding to every pitch, to every foul ball, whatever the hell it is. You have the organ player, you have everybody everything that makes a game a game. And then all of a sudden, you in a ballpark, no matter how big, um all of a sudden alone in in, a, in, a, in an eerily intimate way with this place where so much energy is exchanged and now it is just peaceful, serene, and quiet. There is there is something very religious about it, I, I have to say. I remember a time years after I had given up that internship, I'd gone back to school in Los Angeles and I was finishing up. I'd finished up my last two years. I was ready to go to work for the the team i was ready to go to work from baseball but it was 
I dis- I graduated in December of 94. They were on strike. Nobody had a job. And so it was tough. And so I was in L.A. I was waiting. You know, years went by. Every time the Rockies would swing by or the Cubs would would come to town and Don Baylor was the manager, he'd leave me tickets. And, and I'd sit and watch the games with his wife in the stands and then we'd wait for him so that we could we could just you know i'd wait to just say hi and and talk to him after everyone had gone and i remember one day they had uh they had the whole play they that normally we would go out through like the lower level concourse and out into the parking lot and we'd kind of go around i knew the way that we normally went at dodger stadium this time they said to us, oh, it's closed over there. You're going to have to go another way around. So Don said, come on, we're going across the field. So it's midnight, Dodger Stadium, lights are still on, everybody's gone. We walk across that field and we get, we're going straight out. You got, through, to, walk across, gate in the, you got to walk across the field at Dodger Stadium at midnight? Yeah. Wow. There's a door in center field. We were going to go out that door and through there, there's a, there's a fence and there's, that's where like, um, players parking is back there. Yeah. So we, so Don and I were walking that way and we, and we got to center field and I said, hang on just a second. And I, and I made Don stop. <laughs> and I said, I just want to know what this view looks like. And I turned around and I just stood there and looked back at, towards home plate where all of the people would be. And I stood in that center field in Dodger stadium and, and it was a religious experience for me. I remember just like, you know, like breathing and, and, and to his credit, you know, I mean, Don knew that it was, we all knew, you know, that's as close as you'll get. Yeah. He had the benefit. He played. And he knew that he played and it was, and it was a big deal, you know, and he was, he played for a long, long time, won an MVP, you know, it was, a, he, he understood why it was important to me to just stop and it, and, and just take it in for a second. I'll never forget that moment. You know, it wasn't during a game. I wasn't playing. Nobody, you know, it wasn't like, Hey, quick, get in the game and save the day. It was, there was none of that. It was literally just walking across the field, but I just needed to see it. Yeah from that perspective of being on the field and see what that looked like. And it was amazing. That it, it just sounds, it sounds like it. And I'm sure that anybody else would, I don't know. I think it's the enormity. Like I said, it's the enormity of where you're standing, the structure built up around you, the care and building and, and manicuring the field and all that stuff. And the intimacy that is almost, it's almost uncomfortable how intimate you've, you become with this place and uh, and and the more history that's in a building that's just that's crazy but talking about the history of this park that has been built in Ray's cornfield um yeah. we i love there's a couple of things i loved here too let me know what you what you think uh eddie thinking that ray is going to actually kill him he picked him up he thinks that ray came to to abduct him and maybe to harm him cuz he he heard what happened with everything that's going on with mark and and then we have the reuniting of him with his brother Richard, and it yeah. start, it starts to make a, starts to make sense. You know when when he shows up at home with Salinger and with Graham, and all of a sudden Karen comes out and she's carnival barking, uh, she's carnival barking and she says, "Daddy, it's really you. It really is you." I said, "That's curious. What do you mean it's really you?" And then all of a sudden Annie says that uh, your, your brother's here, and I started wondering. Is the estrangement, and here's the other thing that's crazy. 
everybody's going to see how the, the, the movie is different. And I don't know what I like better at this point. But the fact that his father is already on the field, his father's already on the field here, I start wondering to myself, is the person who needs to be healed, is it his brother? Is this about Richard and his father? Because those are the ones who are estranged. In the movie, everybody will see, it, you know, Ray and his father, they were the ones that were kind of estranged, which builds up to the, the end that we get there. But this one, I'm wondering, I'm starting to think, who, you know, who's going to be satisfied in what way? And I think it's all starting to make a little sense to me. But what do you think about that? Yeah, it's an interesting thought. I didn't I didn't consider that it was his that his brother was playing a role. For a while there, I wasn't sure if his brother was even a real person. I didn't know if his brother was like a figment of his imagination that just had this little the scar in his eyebrow and and when he bumped his head in in Fen in uh, uh, Fenway Park, it was that was he switching timelines and you know and i was worried i was concerned but then then you find out okay there is a real brother it is a twin brother because you know when you've got twins in a story it's always ripe for you know there being some sort of symbolic uh nature to it but this in fact i guess was a real thing they twins in this case and um I, you know, his, his uh, Karen noticed the scar on his bro brow and asked if it was really him because now he's got a scar too. I know, just like his brother. So it's like, you know, if you just came home, I'd assume it was you, but now you've got the scar. So I, maybe I have to ask, like, are you sure this is you? Is this real you? Because now you guys have the similarity. Now, now you're indistinguishable from one another, except for one thing: smell. He can't see anything. <laughs> oh, yeah, brother can't can't see the field he, yeah. i mean he sees the field but he can't see the action on the field he's not at a in a position emotionally to be able to see that so there is still a difference between the two of them even though the scar sort of even things up well i know that there's at one point i think uh karen had had said the you know uh, smell you know, just the musk of your your father you you just he they just knew that was the one thing there but w with him not being able to see which it takes on a little bit of a uh, Polar Express kind of a feeling. You know, yeah. who, who believes Who believes in the magic? Who can hear the bell ringing and who can't? Right. Um, when, you, when you think about that, I, I said, this is another interesting way. And I, I, I think I'm growing more and more appreciative of the screenwriters who adapted this for film. Because obviously yeah. you have to make things work in 90 minutes. You have to make things work. It has to flow. It has to have good meaning. There has to be a resolution. It, it, it's really good stuff. And you can see a combination now between Richard and Mark, what that becomes in the movie. Because it was it was Mark in the movie who is um, who who becomes a little bit indignant that you know what are you talking about there's there's nothing out there like it kind of storms off you know it's not it's not wise to it's not right to make your company feel like you're nuts and all that stuff uh who knows we still don't know how this this one ends but because it at the end of this it seems like richard comes back and he's curious and he's not mad anymore but he wants to know why he can't see it he doesn't think everybody's crazy right but he's frustrated and i think that that if i'm going to project because i've not read ahead I think that that is going to set up a, a pretty emotional emotional time where Richard, who obviously is carrying a lot of guilt in his heart for be estranging himself from his family, especially his father, when he finally sees his father 
play as a young man. I mean, even Ray at this point is like, I don't know how to go up to him. What do I, what do I say to him that I'm going to be your son one day? And, and you know, so it's already so the, the magic is getting so personal at this point. When you plug yourself into Ray's shoes, you think about your, your family, uh, a grandfather, think about seeing your grandfather, your great grandfather, younger than you are in his prime. What, What the hell do you do? Do you even approach him? Do you not? I mean, it's, it's you, getting you, run, you yeah. run that risk of messing up the space-time continuum by by talking to him and sending him off in some different orbit, and then you're never born or something. You know, you you almost want to kind of like watch him like a zoo animal, but not interact with him for fear of screwing things up. But then again, he is in a cornfield that you built right. to play baseball, so like you're already in like uncharted territory here. So maybe you just go up to him. Maybe maybe like everything in this book. You just go with your instinct and you just go down there and say whatever you think you should say, like you got a great swing or I love the way you handle that pitcher or something that and see what happens. Because, you know, Moonlight Graham, the older version of Moonlight Graham, he he figured it out pretty, pretty quick. He knew something was up. And, you know, with regard to... Johnny Kinsella, his his dad, batting eighth. Um, maybe just get near him and and start to talk to him about baseball and see what happens. Oh yeah, I, and on page one ninety seven, this is when, and I and again, just a credit to W P Kinsella and for everybody at home. After last week's session, I I got in touch with Charlie and I said, hey, I just went and I looked up W.P. Kinsella just to see if he was still alive so we can put some kind of a feeler out there to perhaps we can talk to him, but he died in 2016. But um, just to to continue to praise his... His uh, his uh, his prose and and just incredible use of language. I just he is able to establish voices of characters in such distinct and comfortably flowing ways. Um, I, I just like you never you never are lost as to who's speaking at what time. Like the last Charlie, the last book that we read together was Brave New World, and in some of those uh, some of those chapters, you can get a little confused as to who was saying what in the way that Orwell just kind of did the the dialogue. But everybody is so perfectly defined in their voice. That I, I'm I'm listening to people having real conversations, and it's this this place at 197 when he realizes his father's there. Um, then it's my turn to be brushed with wonder. Annie clutches my arm as I gasp involuntarily. The catcher, I croaked. We all look at the white uniformed young man crouching crab-like in the White Sox bullpen, but only Annie and I, perhaps Salinger, if he remembers any of my stories, realize the significance of his being a solid, tangible person and not a shade that might have been outlined and cut from fog using a baseball bat and a knife. Is it him? whispers Annie. I'm not sure, I reply, my voice constricted. I never knew him when he was a young man. Oh, you just know. I mean, he's looking at it. At that point, I'm getting choked up because I, I, I'm projecting myself into Ray. And I'm, I'm looking at some figure from my family that I only knew as an old man who only had, uh, you know, vague retellings of his, his life when he was, you know, um, virile and strong and limber and jumping around and... Oh my gosh, that is just one hell of a trip just to even be transported there in that second. It's amazing. He he 
he's so busy with all these other things you know he's got he got jerry here and he's got he's got eddie here and he's got his brother and his daughter and his wife and all these things are going on and the 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 team has finally kind of come to life the fields come to life recently it had been a while it had looked a little unkempt and he cleaned it up and 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 then Karen said, it, the, "They're here. They're, the lights are. You know, we're, let's go. It, we're ready." And, and with all that, he he sits down and probably is running through all the things that he's got to check out. And then it just hits him: "Oh my God! <laughs> Wait, the guy I've been asking for, my dad, the the catcher, he's he's here." And I love that. Like, he's no longer like a grayed out shadow person NPC type player on the team he's right. he's now all the features all the details come into view and he's an actual person and that's um that's amazing and and also sort of symbolic did he wait till till uh, richard showed up too before yeah. he came i mean there was a there was a window where hey i'd love for you to go get that there's this catcher i know i'd love for you to get him and yeah yeah we're working on it kid you know we're working on it we'll get it when we can it's we, it's almost like ray it. is out there in some kind of an rpg video game and he is doing side quests to unlock new characters and yeah. and and he's bringing and and the more the more he follows the path the more he follows the voice the more he follows his intuition uh, the more things are unlocked. Like for example, Graham. We really, we still don't know to this point why is Archie Graham there. He was okay with his life. In in later in the, in this chapter, we say that when they we talk about the historian at Cooperstown, there was never in all the people that they interviewed, every past baseball player that they interviewed, there was never a person ever who said that they would not go back and do it all over again on the field. So. To, so there's nothing still at this point very significantly uh, significantly um, unique about Archie Graham, but he was one of those people, one of those tokens along the way that needed to be collected and entered into the game, and for and and now he's not even a part of their group anymore. He has been assimilated onto the field. He's not of them anymore, they say. Archie is on the field. He's playing the field. He's already had one at-bat that we know of, although he he uh, he flew out to left field. And um, But that's it. So we don't know what Archie's true purpose is yet. That still is yet to be revealed, too. Um, the other thing that I, I love here, too, is the, the, the real-world background. The tension that's mounting for you know the the race against time is really about how long they're going to have control of the farm and it comes to comes to this big battle that we all know of over here in uh in the, the parallels in our modern day is the little farm versus the monsanto it's the heart versus the machine and and we also learn that uh ray is in this kind of like eminent domain position where his little patch of land is the last piece that that um that Mark and his firm really need to collect all the property around and, and, and create a farming, a computerized farming monopoly. So he really needs to, and Salinger's like, listen, you know, I'm not a poor man. I'll give you the money to get even with the mortgage. But Ray's like, no, 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 there's something else here. And who the, know, who the hell knows what it is? But why do you think, Charlie, is Salinger still so um, hesitant to 
write and publish about what he has seen so far? Is it not in itself an already incredible journey that could be turned into even a piece of fiction at this point? Why is he not truly inspired to write about it yet? Because he's a writer and yeah. he needs to know how it ends. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> because it'd be like it'd be like getting it'd be like getting to where we are in this book and going, "Well, I've read it. That's good enough for me." And then just being done with it. No, I need to know how this ends. And he may never write again. He, maybe he will. Maybe this will inspire him to write. Hopefully, you know, in the book, this will inspire him to to get back and and be motivated to write. But I think he's got a, an idea that this is um, this is this. Let's just. I've come this far. I've trusted a man that tried to kidnap me. I got in a car with him and drove halfway across the country. I'm at his house. Baseball game has started. It's real. It's really happening. Let's see what. Let's see where this goes. Yeah. Why not? You know, at this point, you're pot committed to borrow a poker term. You know, it's just there's no 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 way to leave now. You yeah. got to stick this one through all the way to the end. Well, not only that, but you can tell that even though right now he's he's again hesitant to put pen to paper about what he's experienced so far. There is no doubt in, I think, any reader's mind that he isn't going to do it eventually. Because look at how invested he is in the ride. He's followed them all the way out there to Iowa. He is now so, um, I would say, taken and comfortable, taken by and comfortable with Ray, that he's willing to open up his wallet for him in, in, in yeah. a big way. I mean, he knows, listen, but who knows what the ending is? But um, but there, I mean, this can't just go away just yet until we know exactly where where it's going. So um, that's where we kind. I mean, there's a lot of details in between. I think that once we go into the thread right now, we'll get a lot of those details and observations from the audience. But that's where we're really left off with. Uh, the we're we're starting to see that there is something brewing. The father is there. They're back in Iowa. He's back reunited with Annie and Karen, and we see that there is this tension about the future of the the property of the farm itself. Salinger is getting close to knowing what he would want to write about, but still doesn't want to commit to anything. Uh, You have Richard, the brother. You have Mark, the brother-in-law, and uh, there's only 50 pages left. And so much happens in 10 pages that I am just, I'm just very excited. Um, let's get to the let's get to the thread. Let's see here. First one up is uh, Jalen Wennings. Said starting to feel like each other. Uh, starting to feel like each character is on their own mission to ease his pain. Yes, yes, ease his pain, their own pain. Absolutely. Uh, Salinger's working through something. We know that Richard has a lot of gaping holes in him. Uh, there's, there's a lot going through the, the mind of Ray. Ray is a very vulnerable guy, no doubt about it. Thank God he, for that rock of a family that he has. Um, I mean, Eddie. Eddie Sissons. I mean, that's a physical pain at that point. He's completely racked by old age, and he wants to be in the Cubs uniform again. So I, I can see that, yes. How about you, Charlie? Yeah, he wants to be buried in a Cubs uniform. And I get, I just feel like somewhere along the way, there's a pair of cleats that are going to make, that are going to wind up on him at some point. I don't know. It's a, there's a lot going on each per, Yeah. I think that, I think that, I think that the, 
the commenter is correct in that that everybody's working through something. Everybody's got a little a little, little burden that they need to uh, carry or figure out during the course of this, uh, whether it whether it be Richard trying to sort of like reconnect a little bit with his family. Ray obviously has got some financial problems that he's got a he's having a hard time hiding from. The solution is there, but it's not the solution he wants. He seems to be a type of guy that needs to work this out himself. I've come this far without help, really, I guess. And I'll, I'll go a little bit further. Let's see how this plays out. Yeah, everyone's everyone's got their own issues here, but mm-hmm. um, and they're all and and they need each other to work work them out. They don't know that. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't feel like they know it, but they all are sort of a little bit dependent on each other. Yeah, um, I might actually read the rest of the pages tonight because now that it's the end, I I, <laughs> I might read it again tonight. I might read it again to be get fresh. That's it. fair. That's not cheating. It's not cheating now. No, it's the assignment yeah. now. But I, I'm yeah. I'm just I'm I did not want to stop today, Charlie. I didn't want. It's like a damn it. I know. But uh, we gotta we gotta pace ourselves here. Here's from Robert Solorio, and I think this is this is giving us a little bit of context of what we were asking about last time around with uh, Kennedy. Pierre Salinger was an author and served as press secretary for JFK and was campaign manager for RFK in 1968. He was 10 feet away from RFK when he was killed. Uh, he then moved to France. He later did work for ABC, covered the Iran hostage crisis. Pan Am Flight 103 and claimed TWA Flight 800 was struck by a missile. But here's the rub. There's a letter from J.D. Salinger to Hemingway on display at the JFK Library. He addresses Hemingway, Dear Papa, his nickname, yes, written from the Nuremberg Hospital in July of 1945. He writes, quote, in a constant state of despondency, end quote, few arrests to be made, now picking up children under 10 if their attitudes are snotty, end quote. Gotta fatten up the report, end quote, for the Army. According to the Vanity Fair article, Salinger landed on Utah Beach on D-Day. He was a sergeant part of the 4th Counterintelligence Corps. He became part of the 12th Infantry uh, Regiment, which had 3,080 men but was down to 1,130 by July. He, uh, he fought and wrote in, quote, the magic foxhole. He writes of hitchhiking GI of a hitchhiking GI picked up by a soldier who recounts a battle where the point man loses his mind. He gets to meet Hemingway in Paris during the war. Later meets him again when he was able to sneak off for a couple of hours to a cabin in the the Hurtgen Forest, where half of the 2,517 casualties by the 12th were due to the elements. In April of 45, after a hard battle in Rothenburg, the 12th, uh, the 12th were sent to, the, to Dachau. His daughter recalled him saying, you can live a lifetime and never really get the smell of burning flesh out of your nose. When Germany surrendered in May, Salinger clutched the 45 pistol in his hand and wondered what it would feel like to fire it into his left hand. He then checked himself into the hospital in Nuremberg. So that's Jay, okay. Which, well, there you So so there's a little bit on Pierre and J.D. Salinger for you. So I guess that that was a a really, you have to be a a 1960s political buff to get that piece in the story there that they thought that J.D. Salinger was the the press secretary speechwriter when it was Pierre Salinger. Okay, so that sets that up. Uh, Let's see here. Gal uh, 2021. 
Says page 199, Richard asks Ray, is this some kind of a religion? Ray replies, it may be. If not a religion, then this ride of Ray's has felt something kind of religious experience or something spiritual for him and Salinger. When Ray, Jerry, and Moonlight ventured into the ballpark at night, he uses language that sounds like he's viewing this as a religious experience. By page 160, Ray says, quote, Have either of you spent any time in an empty ballpark? There's something both eerie and holy about it. And then, quote, a ballpark at night is more like a church than a church. On page 162, Ray narrates, I raise my arms over the moon, the moon-silvered park, like an Aztec priest. And on page 164, it is as though we are engaged in a pagan ceremony. These descriptions kept jumping off the page at me. Yes, you can, you can tell what, what, this, what this was for him to be able to convey, to, to get that kind of tingly metaphysical bubbling spiritual feeling uh, up inside of you that there this was more than just being on well-cut grass and breaking and entering there's there's something else there yeah there's a whole vibe that only comes with being in these these stadiums when they're empty they echo they're a little scary kind of especially when they turn the lights off um but uh it's look i mean if you're a baseball fan they talk about places like wrigley field and fenway park the way you they the way people talk about museums and you know and and churches like historic churches and like oh well we're here i've got to go see this i've got to go see that you know my wife was like just in chicago for a work related trip and she had to plan a big event for her group and they went to Wrigley Field. I was like, oh my God, mm. you're so lucky. She's like, yeah, well, <laughs> I'm not going to be enjoying it because it's work. But I said, no, but you got to understand, like Wrigley Field is like a, it's more than a baseball game. You know, it's a destination. It's like the whole history of all of this. And she's like, well, I don't have that appreciation, but you do. And so I know that like if, for people that have this love, it's just, boy, it's just hard to describe because with regard to baseball, the stadiums themselves sort of, you know, the team's coming, like the team itself stays there. The players come and go. They rotate through the managers, coaches, all that stuff. They come and go. But the stadium remains. And that stadium is just filled with a lot of memories and it's filled with a lot of emotion, positive and negative emotion. And when you have that, and when you go to a place like that, that has been infused with energy from millions of people, you, it never really dissipates fully. And you, no. you, you feel, you can feel it. I mean, I'm not a, a totally woo woo guy, but like there's, there's a residue. There is a residue. That's a great way to put it. There's there a, is. There's a, there's there a is. residue that is left there, and 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 for for people struggling to say, okay, I get it, but I guess I just don't get it when it's baseball. Well, then put yourself into a botanical garden. Put yourself into your your father's old tool shed where you've seen him, you know, toiling away at one thing or another, and the, the smell of the 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 oil rags, and I mean, put put yourself anywhere that was a a safe 
place for you that you experienced joy and wonder and you and you felt like it was always going it's like your your fortress of solitude superman's fortress of solitude what was it was it your was it your father's or your great grandfather's garage where was it you know that's that's really what it uh, this is all about you can plug in plug and play whatever the hell it is uh, again it really is just about humanity uh, in this respect and she goes on to say other things there too. The author's descriptions of Ray's mother-in-law was uh, was jolting in the flow of his writing. It felt like a needle scratching across the vinyl for me. It made me wonder if he personally had some bad experiences with Bible thumpers. This and his description of Ray's father-in-law, a man's man, reminded me of summer vacations visiting relatives in that part of the country. The author has a gift for reaching the reader on multiple levels. I understand that too. The man's man that that you, you never really felt that you were in the in crowd. I understand that. I felt I felt kind of like on the outside looking in of many uh, many groups. Uh, not necessarily by sometimes you're just not allowed on in the cafeteria table. But I understood what what this this type of character he was describing with the man's man. As far as the Bible thumping, obviously he has some he has some uh, problems with evangelicals. Because he actually it seems a little bit more sympathetic toward Catholics than he does people in the Midwest who uh, don't like Catholics. Um, here, here's one, and I understand this fully. Let's see here. Um, the kind of people I absolutely cannot tolerate are those like Annie's mother. This is on 175. Who never let you forget that they are religious. It seems to me that a truly religious person would let his life be example enough, uh, would not let his religion interfere with being a human being, and would not be so insecure as to have to fawn publicly before his gods. My mother-in-law can and does work the Lord into every conversation, whether it concerns coffee prices, Karen's cat, or the weather. The understatement of the year would be to say that we do not like each other. So, um, <laughs> you know, I am a, uh, I'm a man of renewed faith, and I, I, I consider myself, I don't know, I'm becoming more religious. But I can never, I, I understand this kind of person. I don't, bring, I don't bring that kind of stuff up with people. That's just things that I, I keep to myself and, and inappropriate company and an appropriate topic of conversation. I'll share what's on my mind and I, I won't shy away from it. But I do understand those didactic pressure conversations with people who are always evangelizing, always. And it, it takes away the ability to really let your guard down and be human and relax with one another because there's always seems to be a judgment that's getting passed. It's a hard thing to do. It really is. So I understand how that could be a... Uh, you know, a, a a way to hinder the growth or the development of a relationship between a son-in-law and a mother-in-law, 100%. I understand that. I understand that description 100%. So, and it does feel personal for WP Kinsella. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there there was. He might have been working through something too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as a as a writer, he's kind of like, you know, these people are making me crazy. And I'm gonna make a character about one of them you know and in, in, in this but but it we all we, we we've all run across somebody like that i've done that i've done that with 9-11 bringing that up at the wrong time the wrong audience and watching everybody look at me horrified that i'm talking about this and so yeah sometimes you the sometimes the best thing you can do is just kind of 
Yeah, try try to bring next time. Uh, every time your uh, your family gets together for Thanksgiving, yourself. bring up a uh, bring up Building Seven next time you sit down for Thanksgiving. That's a uh, Thanksgiving dinner. Just talk about oh. Building Seven a little bit. Too. Oh. oh, I've done that. <laughs> yes, I'm sure you did. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. A many, many years ago, it did not go well. Let me advise against um, against that, especially when 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 I didn't I didn't really have my story straight. It was just bad timing. It was, I know. It was all bad. Yeah. You got to learn though. I know. Sometimes you just can't. You can't. You can't stop yourself. Here's another. <laughs> here's another one. NJSF says the night scene at the empty field was another great display of the painting that Kinsella plume, uh, Kinsella's plume draws, uh, using the most mundane of details to elevate the realism, augmenting the notion of the holy experience, as Gal once uh, put it in the upper upper parts of the thread. Quote, gravels rearrange themselves under the weight of the car, making sounds like snapping fingers. I love that sound. Peanut shells crunched underfoot as last night's waxy cups and hot dog wrappers brushed against our ankles. Damn, the twins did a really bad job of cleaning up, huh? Yeah, they did. Uh, the, the, a funny nugget of wisdom was keeping the spiritual theme going. Quote, you could be accused of being possessed, says Salinger. Is there a baseball devil? And then it says anything taken too seriously becomes a devil. Do I take baseball too seriously? So that's, that was a great exchange. They, they, they've become really great uh, playing off each other. Yeah, they're good. They're uh, Salinger starts to get bad a few times during the course of uh, with the book so far, just in general. But he stops him. He doesn't get too mad. He starts to get frustrated, and then it always ends with him sort of like there's like a little bit of a smile, you know. He even with the money thing, he, I'll pay for your house, and he said no. He said you're, and then he said you're stupid, and well, I forget what he said. Stubborn. You're stupid and and stubborn, and he's like, yeah, I am. Yes, you're correct. You know, and and even then he kind of like he's like, well, I'll see you tomorrow. You know, but but the, he couldn't really ever get too angry. They, I think they like each other too much. Well, you know, you know the other thing there, uh, Charlie, is when I'm putting myself in Salinger's shoes when he says, hey, you know, I'm not a poor man. And I can at least get you current with the mortgage so that we can work on other things. And for someone like Ray to say, no, no, we're going to figure this out. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to do this my way. That's something that even though there's no more, uh, you know, Salinger's already made up his mind about how he feels about Ray. He likes him. He's an interesting guy. He's a simple man, and he follows his heart. But for a rich man to say, listen, here, pay your mortgage, and for the poor man to have so much pride as to say, no, seriously, thank you, but I'll do this myself, that just goes the extra mile in, in saying, all right, this, this Ray guy, he's, he, this is really something special right here. You know, um, you, you can call him stubborn, but there's also there's something there. How many other people would say, you really mean it? Oh, I'll pay you back. Thank you so much, man. But the, the refusal. Um, yeah. But again, the ref- he knows why he refused. That's I think that's the other thing there. It's almost a test of faith. I mean, the only reason why the Salinger is in Iowa is because there is something driving them that they can't define even if they tried to put pen to paper about it. And here they are together, and they've already gone this far. And it's just another test of of uh, of Ray's faith in what kind of a a, a 
a path they're walking. So I uh, I really like that exchange too. Um, let's see here. NJSF continues. It was also interesting to see Ray remembering his stats in high school and how he could have climbed higher in baseball hierarchy if he had the time, uh, if, and if only at the time there was designated hitters. Uh, after yeah. all, close to 500 batting average must not be too bad. Yeah, that means that every every other one in two times, 50 percent of the time, you are getting on base. That's a that's obscene. There's only been a couple of people in baseball history who have ended the season over 400. You know, I mean, it's it's incredible. Um, I, I I had a laugh with that one too because of course Baylor was a designated hitter yeah. who made it because of that option and played almost exclusively in well what was the dh year that was 76 77 what was it something like that yeah it's like the late it was something around there yeah um he won the mvp in 79 so it was pretty close after that hmm. pretty much after that uh, we again are confronted with Salinger's ambivalence on writing. On one hand, he reaffirms that he is but a writer when Ray says, oh, but you must have dreamed of the polo grounds, just like I dreamed of Kaminsky Park, of playing for the White Sox. And Jerry hisses at him, says, I told you about that. Wherever you got that story is wrong. I've always been a writer. This is another thing. I'm glad that NJSF brings it up here, uh, Charlie. It's another thing. I want to know exactly where all of this disagreement is about uh, about Ray's preconception of Jerry having given these interviews and spoken so personally about the polo grounds and his his personal dreams of playing baseball as a child, I, there's got to be a um, clarity that's gained over why he thinks he's seen these things about Salinger. It, it can't be. If, uh, Salinger, at this point, he's an open book. He would have said, yes, that was me at this point. Yeah. So I, I hope we get some clarity on that. We must. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder what it. Or maybe I mean, is it possible that 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 Jerry's just still annoyed that the media put out these stories about me and they're just not true? You know, you you were continuing to believe these the media, the 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 group that hunted me down and forced me to basically hide in my house for my the rest of my life is is lying to you i don't know he seemed he still seems kind of annoyed that like the media is still influencing ray <laughs> you know he still can't get this out of his head but maybe we're gonna like i said we've got 50 more pages we'll get some clarity on that that would be nice because it, it's a recurring theme and it's got to be a recurring theme for a reason yeah yes uh, here's the last, uh, NJSF, he's always very thorough. He puts a lot of things in there, but I'll just skip to the last of what he put. Um, he said, the buildup to the revelation of the game to the guests was very entertaining. From them helping prep the field to breakfast scene, uh, and the game scene itself did not disappoint, with Archie fulfilling the destiny as we were expecting. Well, he well he has not stretched that double into a triple yet. Or uh, winked. Or winked. He hasn't winked yet. Anything like that. So we'll see. He has had his at-bat. He's 0 for 1. And in in that respect, at least he was able to, to complete that line on his career. He got that one at-bat. Um, after the stupefaction or stupefaction of uh, Richard at the events of the game where because he could not see the game and everyone else seemed crazy, it was nice to see him starting to believe that there is something there. That's when he says, uh, there really is something out there, isn't there? But why can't I see? 
And as Ray puts it, quote, perhaps Richard has been drawn here by something other than curiosity about a long lost brother. And that's where I think, and I think probably many of you out there are thinking at this point too, perhaps it is how is Richard going to be able to face and interact with and, and heal the wounds with his long lost father. So I, and, and we'll see in 50, 50 pages. Um, here's a little, here's a little underlined point. Just, just a, another example of pretty writing. Page 176. As we drive toward the farm, I think of Annie and me walking with our arms around each other's waists toward the ball field in the evening when the clouds are a dozen shades of pink, rose, and chocolate, looking as though they have been stirred in a blender. Fuck you. I knew you were going to I knew when I read that, I was like, Frank's going to mention Fuck that Fuck you, man. That's a, that <laughs> I knew is, you were going to do that it. That is beautiful. So <laughs> it's so good. You read that and you go, God damn it. Why didn't I write that? Uh, you know yeah, what I mean? Like, I, no. I, <laughs> I know. I know. Jerry says, uh, what does 0 for 1 mean? 0 for 1 means you had one at bat and you had no hits. One at bat, no hits. That's it. If you, if were, you had had one at bat and one hit, you'd be one for one. If you were, if you didn't get a, a hit, you're zero for one. In fact, if you were had one at bat and one hit, you're not only one for one, but you're batting a thousand. That yeah. You're batting. That's when you say, "Oh man, he's batting a thousand today." That means that yeah. every time he's come up to the plate, he's gotten on base. Well, he he's gotten a hit. So um, it doesn't in in his particular case, like you mentioned earlier, whether you get a hit or whether you don't get a hit, you're now statistically you were part of that game. So now statistically you're in the record book. So whether you did anything positive or not, just the fact that you got up, took a swing, flied out to the left fielder and you got out. That is actually good enough in this particular case in in, in term not not for a baseball game but for getting if the only goal is to become a statistic in this amazing game he now has has done so with the at bat so indeed indeed he now officially exists yeah there's a, there's more evidence that he was there and he did his thing here is from Sharon Sharon says this week's reading is brushing all the puzzle pieces of Ray's dream into an almost completed picture. He's finally home with Annie and Karen. In his absence, Ray's field of dreams has lost its magic. Dandelions brighten the outfield like egg yolks. Wonderful. More, more wonderful words. The grass needs cutting and raking. It is heavy and damp and cool. And all across the outfield, dense grass, cowlicks, uh, glisten, frog green. Ray keeps trying to explain what happens here, but no one can see it. Everyone reluctantly helps Ray bring the field back to life. The earth of the infield, for the most part, had the abandoned look that dirt acquires when it is not tended, like a car windshield splattered with raindrops that have fried like black lace. My footprints, my player's footprints, had been erased by gentle wind and spring rain. From my hands and knees, the ground had a moonscape aura. Tiny grains of dirt looked like mountains. An ant like something, uh, an ant like something prehistoric. The um, the earth around the bases was fine as brown flour when I finished up. That's page one eighty six. The field's magic will return, though. 
Starting on page 192, Ray and Annie drive to Iowa City to look at the land title records and discover that Blue Mark Properties owns all the properties around him except for one, his. He visualizes what will be done if they, were, if they acquire its, uh, his, his property, and it's not pretty. It's what big business does when they have what they want. The land will have no soul. It will just produce. What a sad picture that produces. I can think of all the farmland that Black Rock and the Gates... For example, for two examples, they are many companies and countries that are buying it as well. Um, I can just, I can bear, I can hardly imagine a land with no soul, no love, neat and sterile, heartless as Kinsella's words, um, heartless as, uh, as uh, heartless are Kinsella's words. I really wanted Ray to accept J.D. Salinger's help with the offerings. It's been a long time since I saw the movie. I really don't know how exactly the story will end, but I'm sure it will be magical. Uh, yeah, you know the great thing now is you're going to be so if you've never seen the movie before, it's going to be wonderful and you're going to say, "Okay, that that was a little different." But I really do think this is one of those things where you you're not going to lose much. I don't know how this ends either, but we're not going to lose much. It has been emotional all the way through, gripping all the way through, and um and uh, I think it's a little more concise and e- easily digestible. The movie. I can't wait to watch it with you all. Um, Charlie, what do you think about that synopsis? Anything? You're going to, if you if you haven't watched the movie in a while, or you've never seen it at all, it'll be weird. It'll be, you know, because it's going. It's not going to be the book. Um, but again, as 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 a well as a frankly as a writer myself i'm i'm interested in how they've done it like the 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 guys that wrote the screenplay for the movie that that is a very difficult job of taking the book and converting it into a screenplay and knowing what works on camera but what doesn't necessarily work so well in a book or vice versa that's kind of an important thing so to to what and of course the director's uh uh addition and you know what they bring to the table uh changes everything as well like like we started off with this like when you read the book after watching the movie your uh your your jd salinger is still james earl jones in my in my head you yeah. know what i mean he still is even though i know he's not doesn't look like him in my mind he's still kind of him because that's how i saw it in the movie so whatever you whatever you do first if you read it first and then see the movie second or see the movie first it's going whatever it's going to feel a little bit weird but but it's okay because it's like two takes on a similar story and i'm okay with that i'm okay with getting two versions of it the book is definitely painting a picture though that is really really tough to capture for a movie you know the way he just his words oh my god it's how do you how do you you tell the director make sure we get a sky in the back that looks like a blended chocolate and rose and yeah rose and fruit you know you're always going to lose that much when you adapt but you're always going to lose that much there's there's just something about the words on paper that you you just have to try to capture the best visuals and and see see where it all goes. But you know, Charlie, I just started thinking to myself, we have one more week of this, and this time next week we'll be finishing up all of our our thoughts and things like that. And I 
And I'm saying this Saturday, I mean, this Sunday is Father's Day. Why, how fucking perfect would it have been to have had this done tonight so we can watch Field of Dreams on Father's Day on Sunday yeah. night on QuiteFrankly.tv? That would, oh, man, it doesn't that matter. would have been great. doesn't matter. <laughs> would have been great. It's, it'll be the week after, and it'll still just be as good as ever. So, um, yeah. He, Here's one last comment on the thread, and we can wrap up for the night. Robert Solorio says, I keep my phone next to me as I read along with the book club and Google words that I'm not sure of. Events, in this case, names of ball players, so I know about Eddie. Google led me to an article in a psychiatric paper. I feel there is an underlying darkness in this book. Why would Kinsella twice mention the murderers uh, wrote about uh, uh, mentioned the murderers wrote about in cold blood. Salinger was a recluse who stopped publishing, and his daughter spoke of the many dark sides of her father. Is Kinsella trying to revive a brighter look at Salinger, or trying to say baseball is a respite from the horrors of this world, the corporate world taking over the farming, uh, the farming of generations? This book is not just about chasing butterflies across the field. Um, if if the ma- if the big speech, and you know what, what I'm talking about, Charlie. If the I, I if the big speech that we got in the movie is in the book, coming from the Salinger or the the Salinger uh, character or Terrence Mann, who is you know the Salinger character in the movie, then I would say yeah, because you're talking about baseball, you're talking about this this place where. The past is able that was always good, that 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 was there, that existed, that is in just stark stark contrast to a world that has been torn apart by social upheaval and war and 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 everything else, where you have something that has always been constant and good and wholesome, and that it could it could be a beacon for what was good and could be once again. Um, and yeah, it is. It is something to think about. Salinger, there's a lot there. You know, Catcher in the Rye, MK Ultra, John Lennon. I mean, th- I mean, there's just uh, there's so much there. Obviously, uh, so um, yeah, I, you can look at this book from every standpoint because really, it's it's about human condition and and how we how we get through and and how we um, reconnect to the past that serve us served us much better than what we what we find ourselves falling into in the present. Yeah, it's a it's a multifaceted book. You think it's about baseball because of the name and the characters and, and, and of course it's centered around baseball. But if all you get out of it is the baseball story, you're missing a, a lot because there's so many different unusual relationships that get uh, presented in a way that, you know, his relationship with, with Annie is just inspirational. You know, it, 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 you, you go, I won't settle for anything less than an Annie, you know, <laughs> because she's so fantastic in this and the relationships that he have, he has with these, with these, you know, these characters that he bumps into, be they real or ghost-like, you know, it's, it's so much more than baseball. And so for, I know that we, over the first couple of weeks, we've had, uh, people in the chat that weren't baseball fans and and had to sort of come you know either ask questions about the game or 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 just recognize that it's really almost 
almost secondarily about baseball. It's it's more about the 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 journey, the relationship that you, that you make. Uh, regret. I mean, you know, there's a lot of. I mean, the farm. Like there's a lot of regret, and, and yeah, man, it's, the, the it's threat, just it, the threat to the farm is that could be a metaphor to the 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 threat to. Heart once again, heart versus machine. Well, you know, what are you going to take the spirit out of, or what, what kind of spirit are you going to reinvigorate? I mean, the, the, everything—the farm itself is like a living, breathing thing as well that is being fought for in in the the face of this cancer that is corporate cancer that is spreading all around it. It's the last piece of healthy tissue that yeah. that is resisting it, the infection. It was important for him to mention that it was going to be mechanized, like an automated type of farm that was going to have all these computers. He mentions that several times in this. And I think that that's uh, purposefully done to to juxtaposition the juxtaposition of the of the farm itself when he talks about once that soil gets in you the wind doesn't blow as hard and you start to care about it more so he's a guy that loves the connection with it mm. and and what he's fighting against is it's not just some other guy who's coming to buy his farm it's the worst type of person coming to buy the, the farm somebody with no soul with no connection to it to the ground you just feel like the food the corn will taste worse because it's made by these people right. as opposed to him you know and 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 um and so i and i think that that i think that that's done clearly on purpose and and earlier the 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 um commenter in the chat mentioned monsanto yeah i got that same monsanto kind of bill gates feel like the big bad guys coming to consolidate all these family farms into one big sterile computer managed super farm that's going to make them a bunch of money at the expense of everything that's important about farming yeah yeah yes it is i and i um, there was one last thing that I had um, I had in mind, but I, I think we've said everything that needs to be said. We're we're set up. We are uh, we are ready. We are ready for the finale. And Charlie, I'm I'm so happy that you are here again. Please let everybody know what your broadcast schedule looks like for the rest of the week and next week, so they don't miss anything that you're doing uh, off the show here. I've got Whitney Webb coming on uh, Macroaggressions on Sunday. Nice. We talk about Eric Prince. We talk about uh, the sustainable development goals of the United Nations and how insane they are. Uh, you can check out that in audio format wherever podcasts are served in video format. Probably the best place is Rockfin. You can find me on Twitter at Macroaggression on Instagram at Macroaggression Podcast. And let's see, the website, theoctopusofglobalcontrol.com is the best place to find information about the books or the podcasts or all of that and i appreciate i appreciate this ride man i feel like i got it yeah i feel like i was hitchhiking you picked me up 
Oh, yeah, I, I went to your <laughs> house. The road. Get in, buddy. We're talking baseball. I didn't even need a fake gun to do it. I just uh, said, <laughs> get, get in. We're, we're going for a ride. i got to take you to a baseball game. Well, Charlie. Okay, that's all you had to say. In, uh, we'll talk over the weekend. Enjoy your reading. We'll see you. Uh, well, we'll do this again next Thursday. And then we all get to, remember, it's not even, it's not even finished next Thursday. Then we all get to enjoy a Sunday night together. And that is yeah. going to be terrific. So good night, everybody, and uh, thank you so much.